Welcome to the Medical Affairs Professional Society Field Medical Focus Area Working Group's podcast series entitled Field Medical Stakeholders, Partnering for Today and Tomorrow. In this eighth podcast, we will be discussing clinical trials. I'm Katherine Gann. I'll be the moderator for this podcast. I serve as a member of the Field Medical Focus Area Working Group. Currently, I'm an independent consultant in medical affairs, having spent my 30-year career as an MSL, an MSL manager, and an MSL trainer. Our legal disclaimer is as follows. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect on the opinions of MAPS or the companies with which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. We encourage you to engage in conversations about partnering with field medical stakeholders with other MAPS members via the community portal on the MAPS website. Simply log in with the email address and password associated with your MAPS account and click on the discussion tab. Then scroll down to field medical to post a question or review previous postings. The objectives for this series of podcasts are that at the end of this series, the participant will be able to one, discuss the functions and activities of key internal stakeholders, and two, identify potential areas for compliant collaboration by MSLs with key internal stakeholders. I'd like to thank today's panelists for sharing their subject matter expertise with the MAPS membership. Speaking today are Robert Grobel, Vice President, Global Medical Strategy at Monocle, and Robert will be our interviewer, and Ricardo Mamari, Global Executive Medical Director, Established Medicines and Rare Diseases at Novartis Oncology, and Ricardo will be our interviewee. So Robert, as I turn this over to you, could you please start us off by providing some information about your current position, how long you've been in industry, what you were doing before, and then I'll let you take it away. Thanks very much, Kathy. Um, yes, Robert Grobel, I'm the Global Vice President for Medical Strategy at Monocle. We're a cloud-based software as a solution provider focused on an insights platform designed specifically for medical affairs. The organization provides data and insights relative to scientific experts across therapeutic areas in a global nature. Uh, before I joined Monocle at the beginning of the pandemic, I had led medical strategy at Viva for five years. And prior to that, I had both commercial and medical roles at both Beringer Ingelheim and Shire. Uh, that's a little bit about me. Ricardo, what about you? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Robert. Well, my name is Ricardo Mamari. I'm a physician by way of background. I have been in practice for 15 years, and then I switched to the pharmaceutical industry, holding different positions, both in, in the U.S. and under a global capacity. Well, great. So when we reflect on the title of, of today's podcast, focused on medical stakeholders uh, and partnership, can you explain what you do and what your group is responsible for at Novartis? Absolutely. Well, at, at this time, I am the Global Executive Director in Global Medical Affairs within Novartis Oncology. It's a very strategic position because I oversee three MDs working on different therapeutic areas. Two MDs are working on established compounds, and one MD is working on a rare disease called PROS. So 
the bottom line is I am the final responsible for all the objectives to be met, not only on established product, but also on real diseases. I understand. So, so how is that organization structured within Novartis? Well, we are speaking about a giant company, so as you can imagine, uh, the organization is really very complex. Uh, but trying to lo make this long story short, um, Novartis Oncology has a CMO and a vice president of three different therapeutic areas, hematology, gastrointestinal, and established optimized lung disease. In my case, uh, I oversee established optimized reporting directly to the vice president of solid tumors. And, and who are your internal customers? Who, who are you partnering with on a regular basis? Oh, that's an excellent question, Robert. Uh, <laughs> well, I would say who is not uh, my <laughs> internal customer? Uh, I can imagine. My, yes, my main stakeholders are uh, global marketing, uh, global medical communication, global clinical development, global uh, commercial, and also the local offices because uh, Novartis has offices across the world. So my interactions are with medical from region Europe, Asia Pacific, emerging countries, Japan. So uh, as, as a way of saying, uh, I am in permanent communication with everybody, not only at the medical perspective, but sometimes uh, at the GVA perspective or even a commercial perspective, because we are a team working together in global trying to support not only global activities, but also the regional or even local activities in countries that don't have a very significant budget. And, and so when you think about the, the three MDs that you have working in this capacity and then your role, what is, what's your contribution you know, to the larger group? All right, uh, mainly uh, medical support and leading the medical strategy not only for rare diseases, but also for established optimized products. I understand. So recognizing the size of Novartis, um, is there a U.S. group that's similar to, to your group globally? Yes, but uh, yes, uh, I'm, I mean, during normal conditions, I'm located in the global building and the U.S. colleagues are located uh, just next door, everybody is, is Hanover anyway. Yes, the U.S. organization uh, just acts as a local office, as saying, you know, somebody from Poland, from Canada, or, you know, or from any other country in the world. Uh, but of course, we are speaking about the U.S., that the most powerful and strongest market for any pharma company. That's why the U.S. organization is really very important. Global is more broad. Uh, because global is like, you know, the mama bear that is supporting all the countries all over the world. And the global medical leadership is key uh, to have the most important regions such as region Europe or Japan or Latin America and Canada. I see. So are there, are there any differences amongst these groups? I mean, when you reflect on the U.S. versus rest of world, um, do you operate in a similar fashion or are there things that are noticeably no, different? No, no. The U.S. organization has its own medical agenda and its own priorities. Global can support, but the U.S. has a final word on it. And the same applies to any other region or, or local office. The, 
big difference is that the U.S., you know, is the strongest market for Novartis. So that's why it's like it's a big organization within the company. If we compare the U.S. organization to other local organizations, such as uh, maybe France or the U.K., uh, when we say U.S., we know that uh, it's really number one priority for the whole organization, even under global perspective. What is important for me to say is that uh, Novartis doesn't work in the old-fashioned way, saying that uh, at Global Medical Affairs, or just U.S. Global Medical Affairs, we only take care of products already approved or only 3D phase 4 studies. Global Medical Affairs has a very important role as well, sometimes in phase two, in phase two or in phase three studies. So I would say that in, in Novartis Global Medical Affairs, I'm trying to answer your question directly, Robert, <laughs> U.S. Medical Affairs, we also take care of clinical trials. I understand. So how do, you, how do the groups work together? What, what does collaboration look like? Um, once again, that, that depends on the priorities, but the, uh, we have a monthly meeting with the U.S., and uh, sometimes the budgets come from the U.S., sometimes the budgets come from uh, global directly. Of course, that will depend on FDA requests or an email request, but we work together, absolutely. And, but it's important to say not only with the U.S., with all the regions and countries in the world. How do you, yes. see, the role of the, how do you see the role of the MSL? Well, that's an excellent question. And when I was invited to attend this podcast, I was really happy because uh, at this time I'm working on a global organization. But in the past, I had worked for the U.S. organization, even in different companies. And I always voiced my concern about the medicalism because I always believe that they didn't get the credit that they really deserve. I really consider that the medical liaisons are key for U.S. medical affairs specifically and in <laughs> at a different degree for global medical affairs. Um, I'm, I'm positive that uh, all, the, all the potential and all the possibilities that the medical liaisons may have within our, our organization uh, are not, you know, fully explored. So for me, uh, I don't really like when I hear uh, that the sales representatives are the face of the company because the sales representatives uh, don't represent at all global medical affairs or U.S. medical affairs. From now on, I will just say medical affairs. I think that the medical liaisons are the face of the company from a scientific standpoint. The medical liaisons are the ones that really gain the medical expert credibility on the company. So that's why uh, I really appreciate the value of the medical liaisons. And sometimes I really feel disappointed because I know that they could be working in other activities, but so far they are just limited, you know, to interaction with key opinion leaders or medical experts, and that's it. But from a clinical perspective, I can even share with you my experience working with medical liaisons in clinical trials. That, that's, a, that's a great response. And I've spent the last five or six years really focused on helping uh, MSLs drive value. And, and as someone who, who gets to see this across the industry, we see lots of ways that they're, they're partnering. But do you have any specific best practices you can point to 
um, how people could better partner with their MSLs? Oh, yes. Yes. And once again, I'm so happy to speak about this. If I can help somebody in the, in the, in the final decision, when we are working on a, on a clinical trial, not only at the very beginning, but also, you know, during the clinical trial and even at the end of the clinical trials, I insist that the medical liaison should be invited and should be a part of the CTT because the medical liaison, you know, I, I will say this in a humorous way. It's like, you know, they are a little bit the detectives of the company. So when we are planning a clinical trial and we are planning, you know, the different investigators that we will be working with, I'm really positive that the medical liaisons can help us a lot. They know the site. They know the investigators. They know if the investigator has real experience or not in clinical trials. They know the administrator. They know if it is a busy practice. They know if the practice is not busy at all. So um, first off, I would say that the medical liaisons are a very important value of assistance to us who are just seated in the head office, you know, and we really don't know what's going on out there. The liaison can share with us and bring important information on the table about which the best investigators to be recruited might be. That's, you know, the first thing that comes into my head. And then if I, during the, the clinical trial, we also rely on investigators about what's going on with the slow recruitment. Please, can you reach out to the investigator and let us know if there is any issue, if he has any problems, if he wants to uh, communicate with somebody located in the in the headquarters. And at the end of the trial, once again, the medical liaison help us a lot, you know, about the end of trial termination, about any any queries that need to be completed and until the, the, the database is not clean at all, we cannot lock it. So if I have to give you a clear example, we uh, wanted to terminate a clinical trial because the, the product was already in the market and as it was redacted in the, in the protocol, that trial could be ongoing only until the product uh, becomes commercially available. So uh, in the headquarters, you know, and even more during the pandemic, although it happened before the pandemic, uh, it, it was really very difficult for us to reach out to all investigators. First off, as I said before, it's like, you know, we are locked up in, in the office and we don't have the interaction and we don't have the relationship with investigators as a medical liaison do. Right? So when it was a time to terminate the study, we reached out to the to the medical liaison. We asked them to contact the investigator to visit the site, to explore different alternatives to end the trial, to have the investigators buy in the trial termination. And that was really possible and doable just because of the assistance we got from the uh, medical liaisons. We all know that sometimes, you know, investigators are not responsive. Uh, we know that many times we leave voicemails, you know, we send emails and we, and we never have a response. So when we need a response ASAP, we know that the medical reasons are out there, they go out there and they get the information to us, you know, as soon as they can. And also, they, as I said, they really share with us a lot of information, you know, before the trial, during the trial and the end of the trial that is really key. Once again, I really consider that the work of a medical liaison is key and it's not fully appreciated yet, but it should be. And if we speak about the global level, um, 
uh, in Europe, the, or, the organizations are really very different from how they are in the US. So maybe a medical liaison uh, is also a medical advisor, and you have one country in which the medical liaison is the only medical person uh, representing that country. Once again, that contribution is really valuable because we rely on that medical liaison, on that medical colleague, you know, to share with us, you know, who are in the headquarters, you know, in our offices, locked up in East Canover. You know, we know we have information about the site, about the investigator. We can rush the investigator, you know, through recruitment, through the medical liaisons. So that's my take home message from me to everybody that the medical liaison should be a very important part of the CTT because I do consider that they are key to medical affairs. They are the face of the scientific knowledge of the company. They are even the face of the medical reputation of the company. Well, I mean, I think that's a terrific answer. And when you think about just the sheer volume of clinical trials that are going on today, this role sounds as if it's mission critical to ensure success in speeding the speeding the registration, speeding the database Absolutely. lock or the closure of these Absolutely. trials. And with, without them, it would be much more difficult. Yes, and I'm, I'm really very honest with everybody. We went through that. And the only way that we, we could terminate the study, you know, having everybody happy and all the investigators buy in. It was through the work of the medical liaisons, you know, dealing with investigators, with the study coordinators. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks so very much to, uh, for your time today, Ricard. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, Robert and Ricardo, I want to thank you both for participating today. And I think now our audience should have a better understanding of several things. One, the of the global medical leadership and the relationship with the country-specific medical leadership, and then also the clinical trials and from global through country-specific, and finally, the value that the MSLs bring to all of that and how they can be so useful and so helpful in clinical trials and in the successful in recruitment and continuation of clinical trials. So, Ricardo, I want to thank you for singing the MSL praises today, and <laughs> with, <laughs> we really appreciate it. We really thank appreciate you your, your vote of you know, how much value we bring. So, this has been our eighth podcast in our series on the topic of field medical stakeholders partnering for today and tomorrow. And if you're a MAPS member, thank you so much for supporting MAPS. If you're not yet a MAPS member and would like access to additional resources in this area, please visit the MAPS web website to explore joining. And that website is medicalaffairs.org forward slash membership. This concludes the podcast.